Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome Jared Wallace, a three-time Paralympian who just won the bronze medal at the Tokyo Games. Not only does he have an amazing story about going through amputation and all that goes with that, but now he's founding his own company to provide accessibility and lower cost for prosthetics for those who are experiencing the same challenges that he has. He's got a great story, he's a great guy, Let's talk to Jared. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. Jared, thank you so much for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. Uh, this has been a highly anticipated episode for me to record ever since my good friend Jason Hines. Uh, who has been on this podcast, and and I asked him, Jason, you know, who are some people who I need to interview? And you know, the first name out of his out of his mouth was Jared Wallace. This dude's amazing. He's accomplished amazing things, and he's got such an amazing goal that's going to impact a lot of people. So, why don't you share who you are and what you're doing, and let's walk through this uh, through this career journey of yours. That sounds great, John. No, I'm super stoked to be here. And, uh, you know, Jason spoke very highly of you as well. So I'm just really glad that we could take some time out to, um, you know, connect and uh, hopefully uh, learn and grow together today in our time. So I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Um, Like you said, my name is Cher Wallace, a three-time Paralympian, uh, Tokyo 2020 bronze medalist. And uh, I have a pretty crazy story because I I am a single below knee amputee, but um, I lived the first 20 years of my life without a disability. So um, I have a unique perspective in in, um, the world of adaptive sports and world of disability because I was brought into it through a, a traumatic accident, if you will. Um, I was a highly division one recruited athlete in high school. I was a two-time state champion my junior year, but I'd been dealing with this nagging injury through most of my high school career. And finally decided to kind of investigate a little bit more and uh, see what it was and, and found out that it was chronic exertional compartment syndrome, which is a very fancy medical term <laughs> for just saying I had pressure in my calves. And hmm. um, in order to get the pressure released, I'd have to have surgery. But um, basically, the pressure was cutting off nerve function and blood flow. So I would go out and do a long run and come back and my foot was numb or I would trip because I couldn't feel my foot. And so Um, You know, it was one of the things that, you know, when I was looking at wanting to pursue a collegiate career and potentially beyond in athletics, uh, you know, it wasn't something I would be able to live with uh, and we was going to have to, you know, address. So uh, my senior year, I went in, electively had that surgery. Unfortunately, um, had complications in that surgery that led to me uh, losing 60% of the muscle from my knee down. I had 10 reconstructive surgeries over two and a half year period. Um, that led me ultimately into having to make the decision to have my leg amputated. So, um, you know, at 17 years old, it was not the journey that I thought my life was going to go on. And um, it was not easy and, and it taught me a lot of lessons, but um, it's also brought me to this place I am today with a newfound perspective, newfound experience. And um, hopefully we'll be able to use those experiences to create and leverage opportunities for others. Wow, that's amazing. And we're going to get into your company, Rival, which you are the founder and CEO of a little later in this episode. But first, I kind of want to dig into this experience of yours. So first of all, you were somebody that, like you said, did not have a disability for um, the for your youth. And you were you were a top a top track athlete. What were your goals for yourself personally before you had your amputation? 
Yeah, so Steve Prefontaine was always one of my favorite uh, runners of the day, you know, Oregon guy and um, Olympian. And, and so I uh, I had his times. They had a, a place that had his times for her age. So when, when mm. he was 17, he was running this. When he was 16, he was running this. When he was 18, he was running this. And so I was kind of using that as my gauge of, of you know, my potential performance and, you know, where I, where I was in my age. I was right on par with his times. And, um, you know, I was nationally ranked and, again, you know, recruited – multiple D one schools. And so, you know, I had, I had potential, you know, to be a, you know, a professional athlete. I think my original focus, my, both my parents competed. Uh, my dad was a tennis player in, at the university of Georgia. My mom was a okay. track athlete, all, all conference champion at the university of Georgia as well. So, um, you know, I just wanted to enjoy the college athletic experience the, the yeah. concept of being a part of a team. And, you know, if, if that launched me into being able to have uh, a shot at being a, you know, Olympian one day, you know, I, I think I had kind of Leo 2016, 26 years old, kind of as my, my goal. And, and, you know, so that was, that was kind of where I wanted to be from an athletic standpoint. And, and, uh, you know, at that, that time I was on track for it. Wow. And so those are ambitious goals, but also attainable goals, right? You're being recruited. Your parents had this experience. Sounds like you have some great genes there. (laughs) It's like, man, of course you're fast. Um, Where my mind instantly goes to is the moment you had this amputation. Did you think that this Mm -hmm. was still an attainable goal to be in the Olympics? Yeah, you know, it was it was kind of interesting and, and I'll, I'll take it back maybe two years from, from that moment. Cause a lot of stuff happened during that time that I think was really important. Um, when I first got injured and had the surgery and found out that we had complications and, you know, was in the hospital for 18 days and, you know, they really weren't sure if I was going to be able to walk again. And it was, you know, it was really touch and go for a while there. I, I something kind of unique happened in the sense that I lost, I kind of lost my identity. Um, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize how, how rooted my identity was into who I was as a runner. Um, but it, you know, at 17 years old, you don't, you know, really don't have that much that you feel like you bring to the table. It's like school and sports and that's kind of it, you know? Absolutely, and, yeah. and, uh, and I put a lot of, um, equity into, into my athletics and my athletic performance. And, mm-hmm. and when I heard the doctor say I would probably be able to run again and, and, you know, walking would be difficult it was like this moment of like, well, who am I, you know, what, what do I bring to, to the world now, um, that I've lost like the one thing that I relate so well to that people know me as that I'm kind of looked at as like the runner and you know, all that stuff. And so there was this, you know, really tough 18 month period of time, um, shortly after that initial hospital visit where I was going in and out of surgeries, I've went from being super excited to be a college freshman and go to the university of Georgia and compete as an athlete to sleeping on the floor of my parents' room. Cause I was in like, I needed 24 seven care, you know? And mm-hmm. so there was just this massive shift of what I thought life was going to look like to my reality. And, and, and in that time, you know, struggling to figure out what my identity was and, and what value I brought. And it was, it was not an easy period of time and why that's so important to, to shine light on is because that was a necessary experience for me to go through to then be able to fast forward to two and a half years to being in a doctor's office and him saying, Jared, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when you lose your life. Like Yikes. You, you, you need to have your leg amputated. And 
And in that moment, he basically, he asked me, he said, you know, let's, let's stop letting your leg kind of dictate how you make decisions. Take it off the table for a second. What, if you could dream, what would you want your life to look like? And I was like, well, I'd love to be pain-free. I'd love to be able to run again. I'd love to live a normal life. You know, Lord willing, one day I have a kid. I'd love to be able to post him in the yard. And he was like, man, like, that's really cool. But like, probably not realistic unless you have your leg amputated. Wow. And in that moment, he did something so powerful. Um, and, and he basically stopped me from letting my present circumstances, the fact that I had a deformed limb, dictate my future hopes and dreams. Rather, he got me to dream of what a life could look like beyond my limb. Mm. And so amputation was hope, which is this mind-boggling concept, right? And you have right. to understand the loss of identity. You have to understand that 18 months of anger and frustration and why me and trying to figure out what life looks like to get to that moment where you can view amputation as a second chance, where you could view literally at 19 years old, deciding to have my leg amputated because it was gonna allow me to live a quote unquote normal life. And so it was such a, I'm so grateful that I had that two years, two and a half years of just really hard, a lot of surgeries, emotional, physical, mm -hmm. just mental grueling, because it took me to a place where I saw amputation as an opportunity for hope. And that's what, that's what allowed me to recover so quick and go after crazy dreams and begin dreaming again. Wow, that's amazing. It sounds like you had an incredible doctor. Um, very fortunate to have that person in your life. Um, boy, when you, when you shared that statement with me, we need to amputate your leg. I'm thinking, what goes through a 19-year-old's mind when they're hearing that come, come out of a doctor's mouth? Yeah, you know, I think initially it was like this sobering, like, wait a second, what? <laughs> um, but then as he began to, it began to explain the technology and the capabilities of, you know, prosthetics and the fact that I was addicted to pain medication and in pain 24 seven and that having an amputation would allow me to get off medication and be completely out of pain was worth it in, in and of itself. Right. Yeah. And so it was, I, I can't explain why it was easy to hear. And I can't explain why it was almost the easiest decision that I made. I had this just unwavering piece that it was the decision that I was supposed to make hmm. and, and it was the direction, um, the Lord had for my life, you know, I mean, you, right. you, you can't control everything. And I think I learned that early on in this process. Um, cause again, this was not the plan that I had for my life, but you know, clearly it's, it's what, you know, what was supposed to happen. Um, and so it was, it was one of those things where it was initially hard to hear, but then it was like, you know what? Like if we're going to make this decision and if this is what's going to allow me to get back to being pain-free and living a normal life, then let's go, let's do this thing. Yeah, so you explained how running was your identity. And I think a lot of people who are young, especially people who excel in a sport, can relate to that. I can relate to that through my skateboarding. I was a sponsored skateboarder from age 14. I feel very fortunate that I'm still able to skate in a way that I enjoy today. Um, but yeah, skateboarding was absolutely my identity. I can 
totally put myself in that place of running being your identity. So when this doctor helped you shift your mindset, what did your identity become after that? Yeah, I think that it, I think that I realized that you know in that season that I that I am more than a runner, right, and that I bring more to the table than just that. Um, and that was that was that was a healing you know journey uh, that I that I got to experience at a young age, and and kind of have to remind myself too at times. But what it did is it it made running um, fun, where hmm. before I put put all this pressure on myself because it was who I was. And if I don't do, you know, X, Y, or Z, then I, you know, I'm, I'm less than, you know, if I don't go and win a medal that I have failed, what it did is it allowed me to just enjoy running and running became a gift. And, and I literally, every single time I get to put the running blade on it, it I have this immense amount of joy and, and, and it, and it doesn't matter. Like for me, yes, I have, I've had crazy goals on the track and yes, I've done some pretty awesome things on, you know, on the Paralympic stage, but whether I'm breaking records, winning gold medals or, or, or just out at the local track, getting a training session and everything feels the same. I, I'm doing what I love and I'm, I'm getting to, I'm getting this gift that I never thought I was going to have again. And I, and I got it back and I'm getting to use that platform to motivate, encourage, inspire others and, you know, uh, hopefully pay it forward. That's awesome. I, can relate to that as well uh, with my skateboarding once again <laughs> is you know a lot of times we don't realize what we have until we don't have it anymore right and being I'm 38 years old and so when I go out and skate fortunately I can still do tricks that I enjoy so I feel like I'm either if I'm not progressing at least I'm maintaining but mm-hmm. when I'm out there on my board it's it's different than it was years ago it's yeah. just I want to say it's absorbing everything it's feeling how it feels to ride my board to roll away from a trick um, approaching an obstacle and having a smile on my face because i know i'm going to land this trick before i even tried it mm-hmm. sort of a thing i feel fortunate that I, i've lost some things as well and so what i've learned through those things i haven't lost limbs but i've lost jobs i've lost experiences i've lost opportunities and somebody really opened my eyes to seasons of life and uh, they explained, you know, every season has pros and cons, right? And so very oftentimes when we're in a different season of life, we look back and we said, oh, I didn't realize what I had, right? And so if you can identify what are the seasons, what are the benefits to the current season of life to maximize those? And sure, there's cons, there's, there's downsides. How can you minimize those? Okay. But how can you maximize those positives to set yourself up for the next season, but also when you're in that next season to look back and sit and not say, oh, I missed out on that opportunity. I wish I had done more, but to say, wow, I enjoyed the heck out of that and I'm excited to be here. It sounds like it was a gift that you were able to attain this perspective very young in life because I think this is something that a lot of older people, you know, they're there in their 70s and their 80s and there's, oh, you better enjoy it or you better appreciate these things that you won't have forever. It sounds like losing your leg gave you the ability to really appreciate the things while you do still have them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and loss brings this just beautiful perspective. And, and no one enjoys the loss while it's happening, but every single person walks out of a loss or a tragedy or a moment of adversity, you know, learning something, hmm. um, you know, and, and growing from it. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about, you know, 
I guess I, I could I consider my story one of the greatest gifts I've been given and my adversity, if you will, or my loss is very visible. And so when people see me walking around with, with shorts on and they see my leg, I, I almost have this unique ability to relate to almost every single person. And in wow. within three to five minutes, someone's sharing some, you know, crazy intimate thing with me. And it's just like, wow, like it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that, mm. that I, I really feel, feel blessed to have. Um, but it is, it is, you know, a lot of the fact of why, um, I can have that perspective about running is simply because I, I loved it dearly. Mm-hmm. I lost it without any warning and then graciously given it back through a new lens and a new perspective. And we're not always given fully given back the things that were lost. Maybe it manifests itself in something different. Um, but if we're willing to see those new opportunities as opportunities for joy and to experience new growth, um, then I think it's amazing the things that we can truly learn from it. I love that. There's a lot of opportunity for redemption with that sort of perspective. So you talked about putting the blade on, and uh, this is what I want to dig into, which is uh, involves your company rival, is when you first put that blade on, and there's many people who put blades or a prosthetic of some sort on, there's some issues, right? I think it sounds yeah. like the market uh, does not allow for a lot of accessibility, and the designs can be improved. This is something that you were sharing with me on our our private conversation before this episode. Uh, Explain for the audience what the problem, the current problem is that led you to found your own company to provide a solution. Totally. So, you know, in the industry right now, you know, when you have an amputation, obviously the first thing you need to do is is get a a leg that's going to allow you to just do normal activities and they were, we would call it in the industry, your everyday leg. So the day, okay. the leg that you would put on where most of the time they would allow you to get from, you know, point A to point B beyond that, you know, if you want to exercise or if you want to, you know, rock climb or ride your bike or do all these things there, there, because you have a, um, prosthetic device, there's needs for different type of feet, different type of componentry that, that you kind of interchange to allow you to be able to, um, seamlessly do those activities. Unfortunately, because, um, those activities aren't, uh, necessarily required to, um, live, you know, normally, um, very rarely are they covered by insurance. Makes so sense. to be able to get a prosthetic, you go to a prosthetic company, they bill insurance, insurance covers a portion of it, you cover the rest and, and you, you kind of go on with your day. But you can't, you know, say, well, I want to run. And so I need a running leg. I want a scuba dive. So I need a scuba dive leg. I want a weight lift. So I need a weightlifting leg, you know, perfect world. Yeah. You have, you know, different legs for everything. And you know, I'm 10 yeah. years in and I have various legs for various things. Cause I've built up a, you know, a, an arsenal of supplies, if you will, but, um, it's, it's a long, you know, kind of process to get to that point. And question for you there, what yeah. is the most unique or coolest leg that you possess? Um, man, I'd say right now I've got a, um, this foot it's by one of my buddies, Mike Schultz, um, designed it. He's got a company called BioAdapt, and it's, um, he's a motocross guy. Mm-hmm. And so he's loves the whole shock system and everything. And he actually has designed a foot that has a literally a Fox shock in it that allows <laughs> me to get 30 degrees of dorsiflexion. So I use it for weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allows me when I'm squatting, the ankle actually moves very controlled cool. with the with the hydraulic of the, of the fox shock and I can adjust the, 
PSI pressure and compression and everything to, to fit my movements. Um, and so it's, it's, just, it's, it's one of the most, cool. it is, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing what it, what it can do. So I think it's probably my coolest tech foot. Uh, my most fun foot for sure is the, uh, is, is my running foot. There's just, you know, getting, getting up and sprinting on those things. It's, it's just pretty amazing. But, um, but, but, you know, like just simply in those two explanations and you can understand, you know, the need of various devices, you know, pay, burst, you know, uh, based on an individual's specific needs, you know, another great example is if, if a, you know, a girl loses her leg and she wants to wear heels, you know, you need a completely different foot to adapt to the height of that heel in the shoe. Good point. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's not, you know, always a standard thing. So there, those things are available, but they're, they're not standard and, and rarely, you know, do they get, you know, ultimately covered by insurance. So where we kind of found the, the issue is, is, you know, insurance allows you to kind of get your first leg, but anything beyond that, it's very difficult um, to, to access a, another leg and there are nonprofit organizations that do a great job to try to fill in that gap. And, um, there's some prosthetic companies that, you know, you know, help, uh, individuals, you know, if, if that, um, opportunity presents itself, but again, it's few and far between and, and it really unfortunately limits what people think is possible. Um, you know, mm. and, and so what happens is they get told this is the only device that you get and you kind of have this hope of living quote unquote a normal life and you realize that there are limitations still. Um, and so one of the things that we, you know, have kind of begun to pursue is um, a project we're calling the Affordable Blade Project. And we're um, challenging the manufacturing process, we're challenging the um, how the, the blade is designed, we're challenging um, even coming up with componentry to be able to uh, completely eliminate the need for a secondary socket so they can use their existing socket that insurance covers mm. to uh, be able to adapt and adjust and use for multiple feet uh, options. Um, the other thing we're, we're doing is we're building that, building that model on a direct-to-consumer direct um, business model. And so we're, we're ultimately taking, you know, kind of middlemen out of the equation and, and not allowing uh, insurance to regulate that cost um, which they have set for a running blade at $7,200, which is extremely expensive. Yikes. And we're, and we're, we're making it accessible and available directly to consumers. Um, and for uh, kind of perspective, our target price range is to be below $1,500. Um, so we're really excited about the difference that that's going to be able to make. And, um, we're in the middle of, of prototyping right now and, and a lot of exciting things are happening. Um, so definitely stay tuned and, and it'll keep you, keep you up to speed with, with the pro progress. But, um, you know, again, the, the burst and the concept behind the company is really to fill in a, a big gap in the industry, which is, um, creating, um, access, um, affordable access to the, uh, this equipment that's going to allow people to be active, adaptive, and ultimately take back the agency, um, of, of their mobility. Boy, $7,200. You said running is a gift. That's like the most expensive gift you could give yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Um, what are some of the things that drive that cost? Is, is it hard cost with the materials? Is it design? Is it that it, like, like, do these have to be designed custom to each and every person? Or could I potentially produce 20,000 and achieve economies of scale and the people who want that type of a leg um, are able to use it? Yeah. So, uh, yes, yes. And so they're, they're definitely, um, you know, mass produced in the current, current state. That's something that we're addressing as well in our business model. But at this point there's a kid size and an adult size. 
Um, there are different stiffnesses. So, you know, someone who's mm. six, three, two fifty, and someone that's five, four, one forty, you know, they're going to need a completely different thickness, compression, you know, the blade, all of those things. So those are addressed, but they're still pretty much standard as far as size is concerned. So, um, you know, you've got a six, four and five, four person wearing the same blade. One just cuts the, you know, the remaining height down, you know, to fit theirs where they fit in spacers for it to, to work, whatever. So, um, there's just, a, there's not a lot of, um, customization. Um, there's, you know, they're, they're functional. Everyone in the industry who has them can use them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they're, um, it can, it can be, um, definitely can be better. One of the things that always surprises me, I'm kind of a common sense thinker is I, I kind of assume things like should be driven by common sense or, uh, or are, what would you say is the reason why this solution has not been provided yet? Is it mm-hmm. that the compared to the population, a relatively small percentage of people experience this, so there's not a lot of light shown upon it, or is there another reason for that? Well, in the U.S. right now, there are 1.4 million lower limb amputees, so there's definitely a market, um, and yeah. that's just in the U.S., right? Um, I, I think there's there's a couple of different reasons. Uh, cost is a big part of it. Um, I think exposure. So because they're so expensive, you don't get to see people wearing them, so you don't think that it's an option, or you don't think that they're available. The only people that wear them are elite athletes. So unless you're an elite athlete, you're not really going to get one. It's like, hey, I'd like a Ferrari. I only get to see people that are billionaires or uh, race car drivers, <laughs> right? You know, like serious. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, like you know, you know, driving a Formula One vehicle would be really fun, but it's not practical. Sure. And so that's kind of you know, in the industry right now, the running blades are basically like a you know, made as Formula One vehicles. They're very high end. What what we're challenging is, well, why don't we why don't we build a Corolla? Right. and create an opportunity for the industry to have something that the, we can learn from the technology of Formula One. We can learn from the technology mm. of the Elite Blades, but we can implement it and create something that's more accessible, more affordable, um, and, and begin creating and changing the narrative of, you know, everyone can and should have one of these devices so that they can be active, so they can stay healthy, so they can play with their kids, so they can do the things that they want to do. Um, I think that at the other side of the things is it, that, that why maybe it's not happening is it's, it's count, counter cultural to the industry. You know, the industry has been such for the past hundred years. You go to a prosthetist, they yeah. go insurance. There's a manufacturing company that sells to a prosthetist. Insurance regulates the cost. This is the system. This is what we do. This is how we've done it. Why are we going to change it? And, and, you know, I'm, I'm of the, you know, mind and, and concept of why, why would we not educate the population and say, Hey, if you want to make an adjustment on your leg, it's really not that difficult. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the five things that you need to do to be able to do that. So if something in your device breaks, you don't have to sit at home, not wearing your leg for four days until you can get into your prosthetist office for them to fix it. And, and there's just, there's, there's nothing even out there like that. So, you know, we're starting we're starting with a very sexy product, right? A running blade. And, and we're going very countercultural in the industry, which is very reliant upon the prosthetic companies and, and reliant upon, um, you know, insurance and manufacturers to develop. And we're saying, Hey, we're developing this specifically for you. We want to help you 
completely be able to use this whenever you want. You know, I envision a, a eight year old kid going to school and in his backpack, he's got a little running blade with our adapter on it. And when it comes time to play recess, he pops off two screws, switches onto his running blade and he goes and plays for 30 minutes with his friends for the first time ever. You know, that's what, that's what I envision this being able to, to, to be. And there's no reason that that, that can't happen, um, especially in our digital age, right? I mean, if someone wants to change oil in their car, they've never done it before, YouTube it, and 30 minutes later, you're in your driveway doing it, right? right. So there's Absolutely. no reason we shouldn't, we shouldn't give people the information to, you know, allow them to, again, take, take control and have agency over the life they want to live. So um, there's, there's a lot of things that we're doing that are going to be really countercultural and, and have some pushback. Um, but I think at the end of the day that, you know, our focus is 100% on the consumer. Our focus is 100% on ensuring that people have opportunities to do the things that they want to do. And, you know, at the end of the day, I look back at my story and, you know, I was so blessed. I was so fortunate. You know, when I lost my leg, when I made the decision to have my leg, I had this crazy, crazy dream of being a world record holder of going to the Paralympics. And, and I told that story early and often. And I had people in the community come around me and say, Hey, we want to help you make that happen. What do you need? Hey, wow. process came along. Hey, what do you need? We can get you a running blade. We're going to make that happen. And so I I'm a product of a story of someone who is given the opportunities and the resources and not everyone has that story, mm. but th this company and an, and an affordable blade will be able to kickstart hundreds of thousands of people to begin writing their own story. And it may not be going to break world records. That's totally fine. It may be, Hey, I just want to be able to play with my kids. Hey, I just want to go back to doing five K's on the weekends because that's what I love. And that's what we're about. And that's what we're, well, why we started. What a blessing to be in a role where you can make such a significant impact that really directly impacts people's lives. Um, I, I love the analogy of the Corolla. Corolla is made by Toyota, and it just so happens. I'm sure that's not a coincidence that you used uh, that analogy. But you are a Team Toyota-sponsored athlete. Why don't you share with the audience, uh, what is your role and experience uh, being a sponsored athlete for Toyota? Yeah, you know, Toyota did something really amazing a few years ago. You know, they've been a leader in the automotive industry for a really long time. And um, uh, Akio Toyota, the, the CEO and uh, owner of the company in Japan came out and said, you know what, I, we no longer want to be an automotive company. We're going to be a mobility company and we're going to completely shift what we do mm. around vehicles. And we're going to look at mobility as a whole. And so they're really rewriting the, um, the script on what does mobility look like and challenging mobility. Um, yes, for people with physical impairments, but also just across, across the board, uh, you know, autonomous, autonomous vehicles and other things. And so um, it's been really amazing to be a part of a company who is looking beyond, who is asking questions bigger than, um, you know, reality in life itself right now. They've also taken a really um, specific interest in supporting the Paralympic movement as a whole. Um, they actually just announced a couple months ago that every uh, every Paralympian that made the team in Tokyo and then the upcoming Beijing Winter Games um, has the opportunity to be financially supported by them um, and, and getting awesome. a, a sponsorship deal, which is quite amazing and something that um, has been a long time coming. So <clears throat> it's been a been amazing to be a part of that company and uh, just really grateful for everything they've done for me uh, and, and adaptive movement. You know, I really love uh, the vision of that CEO at Toyota. It reminds me of the Simon Sinek talk, TED Talk, What is Your Why? And that's something that I've always thought a lot about. It sounds like you've thought um, a lot about your why, and it, it's so cool that you are 
you're impacting so many people. Take me through this process of uh, getting to be sponsored by Toyota. Um, this is something I can relate to a little bit. I've never had a automobile sponsor, but as a skateboarder, I, I've had shoe sponsors and shop sponsors and apparel sponsors. And so my process was going out with my brother, having him film me, making a video on our home computer with uh, video editing software that was much more complex than iMovie on our phones, <laughs> which is super easy nowadays, and then mailing VHS tapes to people. And then once I got one sponsor, specifically my shop sponsor, Onshore Board Shop by Celia California, shout out, they would uh, you know, reach out to Globe Shoes or Santa Fe Skateboards or um, Ulti Sports Apparel, sort of a thing. Um, what is the process as a Paralympic athlete to gain a sponsor to support you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very similar. I mean, I, I think with any sponsorship, it kind of ends up being right place, right time, you know, or, or like you just shoot a video and it, and it just landed in the right inbox, right? Or, or get to the right address. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so for me, I was actually in Japan working with um, an engineer designing the blades that I run on and they had a big launch event and, and Toyota family uh, from Japan was actually there, part of the event. And wow. um, I, I was hosting a clinic and just kind of shaking hands and meeting people and they just really... I, I, you know, made a good impression. But two weeks later, I got an email from uh, TMNA, which is Toyota Motorcore North America, the general manager at the time, Jack Hollis. And uh, he basically was like, uh, you know, I've been, I've gotten 17 emails from Toyota Japan saying that we need to sponsor you. So I think we need to, we need to sit down and have a conversation. Wow. There and, you go. Uh, and so it ended up being a little unique. They, they, um, you know, with a lot of their assets, they go through a very in-depth process you know they're very specific and intentional who represents their brand as they should be and sure. um you know i kind of had a, a unique route into uh, into being a part of the team toyota family um that being said it's you know it's been an amazing experience with them you know with obviously easy appearances and you know social stuff and you know you, you kind of get immersed in the company as a whole from anywhere from local dealerships all the way to the you know guys at the top and everywhere in between so it's definitely uh, definitely been you know been uh, a unique and an amazing experience being a part of such a great company um and then you know as you said it's it's, it's kind of word of mouth so you know yeah. if there's relationships that i'm looking for from from that standpoint you know toyota is a you know top olympic sponsor so having them write a letter or rack or make a connection is always, always always a great way to kind of expand the brand if you will for sure and there's that thing where you know nobody wants to be first or you know one sponsor can beget more sponsors in the skateboarding world it's the shop sponsor and then they talk to the local reps and they say hey this guy's really good and he's got an impact on the community you know if you put your shoes on him give him a couple pairs a month you know you'll probably sell more shoes and then obviously you work towards getting paid uh, when you were out there in japan when uh toyota experienced you and the family experienced you um did you have the goal of being sponsored or is this something that was just a byproduct and a surprise as you went through this process? Yeah. I, yeah. I think yes, because they're all, you're as an athlete, you know, this, you're always looking for sponsorships, but yeah. um, at the same time, it, you know, I just didn't, I didn't know the, the pull of capacity, right. You know, you, you're having conversations, you don't know who you're having a conversation with. You don't know the, the impact that they potentially have on, you know, the connections that they may have with the team back in the U S whatever. So, you know, it's one of those things and I've always been this way is like, you know, you, you never know who you're having a conversation with, so treat everybody the same. Doesn't matter if it's the or the janitor. You know, you, you have you have a, a conversation. You care you care for people. 
you treat people right and, and uh, good things will, will pay off. And so um, I did find out that I was talking to a pretty important person there in, <laughs> in Toyota. Obviously, uh, we're able to make some pretty big pulls, but yeah, it was one of the things that, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, man, Toyota would be an awesome company to be sponsored by. And then, you know, yeah. fast forward a few months and here we are. So um, it's been amazing, like I said, to be a part of their, their brand for the past four or five years and looking forward to hopefully continue to partner with them all the way through Paris. That's fantastic. In fact, their headquarters, their North American brand headquarters moved from California to actually right down the street to where we record the podcast uh, at the corner of Plano and Frisco, Texas. So I drive by it all the time. They have a very innovative headquarters. Yeah. And I I used to drive a Camry and now I have a Lexus, which is the, you know, which is in the the Toyota family. So Ooh. I'm a fan of the brand. You can send me a car. I'll accept it. Come on, man. Um, but I, but if not, I, I'm already set up is what I'm trying to say. Have you seen the new Tundra TRD Pro, the 2020 that's coming out? I have, and you know how I've seen it is because I follow you on Instagram. And, let's uh, go. Let's let Toyota know that this sponsorship is, you know, is producing some ROI. So I would not be aware of this truck had it not been for your Instagram post, but because uh, you are such a great brand ambassador, I know all about it. My man, and and I'll, I'll send you a check in the mail for that soundbite right there. That, you, you crushed it, that was great. <laughs> First try, no, just like skateboarding. Oh man, it is, it is amazing, dude, I'm so stoked. Uh, we were at the dealer meeting a couple weeks ago and got to see it in person and this thing is so gnarly. That's amazing. So how do I ask this? When I was, uh, you know, at the top of my sponsorship for skateboarding, I got free shoes. I get two pairs a month and those really add up. I get a pair to skate and then I get a pair of chillers and all of a sudden you have more shoes than you know what to do with. I rode for Globe Skateboards for seven years. And so uh, the person who benefited the most, my mother, uh, didn't have to buy me one thing (laughs) during my high school career. So do you get to, like, are they sending you a car or are you, um, do you have to be careful about like, Hey man, I can't jump on, jump in your Nissan. Um, I gotta, <laughs> gotta be in Toyota. It, it, What's that like? Yeah, it's not, it's not that bad. You know, when I, when I, if I have to rent a car on the road, I always ask if they have a Toyota and try to get them one, but yeah, uh, they appreciate that. They don't require it, but um, no, I, I do. They, they lease the vehicle as part of my contract. So I've got a nice, nice uh, Tundra in the driveway and, in March, we'll be trading it in for one of these new uh, TRD Pros that they're, they're, they just finished making, which I'm stoked about. Um, but yeah, it's, it's obviously, um, you know, a vehicle that I'm, will be, will be in for a long time, you know, especially as long as I'm with them. And then, uh, you know, same thing, you know, I'm a, we're a tour family. My wife has a, has a uh, RAV4 not required, but you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're all in with, with the Toyota team and um, they've always been really great in helping us get vehicles, uh, especially for her. So. Um, why not? Why not keep it in the family? Absolutely. You know, the best sponsorships are the ones that feel natural, and you know, both for them and for you, right? The the sponsored athlete and the company. And so, when you we, when you work with somebody who naturally engages with your product, that enjoys your product, you're going to get a lot more out of the sponsorship as a brand, and as a sponsored athlete. Man, what a dream! to be able to lean into the things that you know you would do or would want to do anyway it the tundra had always been my dream truck so when uh, when they said where you get a vehicle with the contract it was like the next two weeks all i did was build different iterations of the vehicle <laughs> it was like okay i think this is no wait this is no i think i want this one so yeah man it's, it's awesome a dream come true 
Well, hey, we've got about 15, 20 minutes here left in this episode. And one thing that I wanted to dig in with you, uh, which I think is so interesting, I, I think the audience would really get a lot out of this, is the training for a Paralympic athlete. And it's probably different uh, depending on uh, what your amputation is. Um, mm-hmm. But when I think about um, Olympic athletes, I had the opportunity to meet Carl Lewis um, a few years back at the University of Houston. Um, at least at the time he was, uh, the assistant track coach. I mean, what a way to recruit, right? Hey, our assistant (laughs) track coach is the greatest Olympian of all time on the track. Yeah. Um, so I find it so interesting just for traditional Olympians, boy, the work you have to put in the focus on the minor teeny tiny details of like your arms, how you're leaning, Mm. all of these things. But with a Paralympic athlete, you've got another thing to figure out or to have to work with what is that Mm. process and how is it different from a traditional athlete yeah totally i mean i think at the end of the day we we all train the same right we all need to have good nutrition we all need to have proper periodizations we need to be in the weight room we need to be on the track we need a balance of strength and speed you know obviously depending on you know what events you're competing in but from a sprinting standpoint you know there's there's not a whole lot from just the the bare bones of how to become an elite athlete or how to be maintain being an elite athlete that's different. Um, that being said, you know, in the Paralympics, there's, you know, there's amputations of all sorts of levels above and below knee, um, different, you know, right, left, double, single, um, arm amputations. There's visually impaired athletes who need to be tethered with guides in all of their training. There's I've people who seen have to, that. Yeah, where they're they're it, running with somebody next to them. Is that accurate? They're they're directly in sync. They have wow. you know they're completely blind. They have blindfolds to ensure no one's cheating, and and you're tethered completely next to a, a visually impaired athlete that guides them in the race and and or guides them down the long jump runway before they jump into the sand pit. I mean, it's it's wow. really quite phenomenal. Um, there's athletes obviously that have different levels of spinal cord injuries that are in wheelchairs and those wheelchairs are modified based on their core function um, and capabilities. There's people of cerebral palsy who, you know, have different levels of impairment of cerebral palsy that, that, you know, training becomes a lot more different and difficult from that standpoint because fatigue sets in, creates a a very um, large response, negative response for CP athletes. And so you have to kind of balance um, how hard you push each session while still being able to get the quality and the quantity of the workout to end. So, yeah, there's just there's a whole other layer of variables that come into play when you when you bring in, um, you know, some type of physical impairment. And for me specifically, with a with a prosthetic and as an amputee, there's there's not necessarily um, sprinting is sprinting, um, but it's what role does the prosthetic play? in in my gait and and knowing that i'm a single amputee i need to be symmetrical while i'm running and so you know having one sound leg and one prosthetic do i dial the prosthetic to be faster than my sound side and and allow my sound side to kind of work towards it do i dial it back a little bit and just you know know that it's going to eventually be able to keep up with it you know how, how do you how do you make those adjustments do i set my prosthetic up to be um, beneficial for just the start, just the finish, just the middle, you know, so there's all these kind of variables that you have to consider. And and basically what we've done is we've kind of said, what's the most, you know, most used area. So when I'm in my, you know, upright running is the most, you know, 60% of the hundred is pretty much upright top speed running, you know, 
75, 80% of the 200. And so, you know, we built our, our setup specifically for that, knowing that, hey, it's not gonna be perfect for the start. And as I decelerate, there's gonna be some negative adverse effects for the blade. But for the most part, this is gonna be the best setup for me. And then it's all about just getting stronger and, and trusting the blade in this process. Mm. Um, you know, because I'm not getting the same amount of push out of the blocks as I am out of my sound side with the, with the blade. It right. takes 10 to 12 steps before it starts feeling somewhat normal. So those are the variables that kind of, you know, you just have to take into account. Um, and, and, you know, again, like I said, at the end of the day, the, the training itself is pretty much the same. Um, you know, when I'm doing Olympic lifts, there's certain things that I might have to do to ensure that I don't hurt myself or that I have to, you know, make sure that my body's symmetrical. Maybe I have to do some extra single leg stuff to build some more strength so that I can do these specific movements properly. Um, you know, but they're at the end of the day, our objective and goals are, are basically the same. Interesting. Now, are there any regulations that the Olympics place on you saying, don't make that (laughs) prosthetic too fast? Mm -hmm. From a prosthetic standpoint, um, if you're in the Paralympics, as long as the prosthetics themselves are um, are purchasable or available to anybody to use, then you can use them. Um, The one regulation they do have is for double amputees. And it's a a good regulation to have, um, especially for some of the controversy of should you run in the Olympics as a person with prosthetics or not. And the the kind of conversation is um, built around height. So for me, I'm five foot eight. If I was a double amputee and I wanted to be six foot three, I could totally do that just by adjusting the height of both of my prostheses. And oh, so, if you think I about the about ability, wow. yeah. <laughs> if you think about the ability to increase your height, we know that the product of speed is uh, height uh, or stride length times stride frequency. And so, if you can change one of those variables, then your ability to increase your speed, you know, drastically changes. So, if I'm five eight and I've got a really quick stride frequency and all of a sudden I'm six three with that same stride frequency, probably gonna run faster. Uh, Cause I'm gonna be covering more ground and, and all that. So um, they've come up with a formula that, uh, that, you know, a lot of people aren't happy with, but it's a formula that everyone has to abide by. Um, and, and it basically puts some t- type of regulation on the height um, that individual users have on, um, on the blades. And so, um, that's, that's for, for our class, that's the only real regulation, um, that does exist with the technology. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it keeps the playing field somewhat, you know, somewhat fair, if you will. That's so interesting. I never thought about the height thing that could be beneficial on your dating profile as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm six, eight. Depending on <laughs> depending on the day, um, another factor in training is pain a factor for you outside of the normal pain of you know soreness and due to training. Yeah, totally. I think that you know obviously wearing an assistive device and having a socket that's customized for my leg. You know when you start sweating, you know there's whole new variables of you know you managing the sweat where if you get too sweaty, your leg can start sliding off and it, and it's uncomfortable. You can get a, get abrasions on your legs. So there are different variables that you, you know, that you have to kind of control and manage, um, through the training process. Um, it's funny you asked and that wasn't even something that I brought up. It's just, it's so, it's just a part of life now. Like I don't even consider it, you know, uh, somewhat of a disadvantage if you will, but it, it absolutely, you know, is, is, um, annoying at times and, and something that just has to be managed. But, 
um, different people have different systems that, that they wear for their for their leg that all each one has kind of its positive its own positives and its own negatives but there definitely are variables where um, you know maybe your, your leg gets pretty beaten up and you have to take a couple of days off because um, it hurts to put your leg on um, things like that that um, you know could happen with you know someone obviously has got two legs that can get blisters all over the feet and have to take a couple of days off whatever but um, yeah it's, it's definitely a little bit more uh, common um, you know, wearing, wearing the assisted devices to have, you know, have issues like that come up. That's so interesting. Through, through this discussion and the discussion that we had pre- previously, I've learned so many things that I never even thought about before. And mm-hmm. from, you know, what we just discussed with uh, the, the regulations with the leg, um, the issues with the insurance, um, the issues of you know what do I do where do I go um, to even to even get this um, I guess to wrap this up what I what I'd love to ask you is through all of this that you've done you've gone through this some very very difficult times um, you've obviously reshaped what your identity is you found a way to have a purpose in helping people and what you've uh, gone through yourself. If there's one thing you want people to take away from this episode, what would that be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think I would say, like, I guess I just got to a point over this past, I guess, o- over a decade now of this experience where I realized, like, I can either continue to complain about the problems that exist mm. around me or in the world, or I can choose to change them. <laughs> You know, and, and how, like, how often do we find ourselves like in those, like the smallest little things, like you just walk around frustrated or whine or complaining about something that like we easily can change and, and maybe saying easily can change an industry by developing an affordable blade to stretch. Like that's, that's a little bit bigger of a pull than an easy change. But at the end of the day, I think like I experienced so many things over the past decade that, and, and eventually saw a need big enough that I wasn't willing to complain about it anymore. Mm. And I realized that I had the knowledge, the information, the experience, the empathy, the relatability to be able to be a voice for the change, a driver of the change, a creator of the change and someone who's going to implement that change. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing I, I hope people maybe take away from is, you know, what are, what's, what's something in your life that maybe you can, look at through a different lens and say, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain about this anymore. I'm not gonna let this bother me anymore. Rather, I'm gonna find a way, I'm gonna find a way to make some change here. And it, again, it doesn't have to be this big radical thing. It can start with something small. Uh, and if you really look close to my story, it did start with a lot of small decisions over a period of time yeah. um, that have gotten me to the point that I'm in right now. Well, I guess you would say that, you know, somebody who is disrupting an entire industry didn't start with that, right? <laughs> Wouldn't and, advise it. <laughs> and that, that, that can be a little bit overwhelming as well if you're like, hey, John, uh, I want you to find an industry to disrupt. That might be intimidating, yeah. but if you said, hey, what is something in your normal life that you see can be improved that w- either yeah. affects you or bothers you, um, do something about it, but don't just do something about it. What you've done is you've taken it a step further in doing something about it in a way that really benefits other people to impact their lives in a positive way. So mm. I think I probably speak for, you know, all the amputees out there who are 
who are going who have benefited and are going to benefit you know as a thank you that you are taking on this problem and you're thinking beyond yourself you're thinking to everybody around you as well well man i appreciate that and um, thank you so much for this conversation and, and time today i learned to learned a ton from you had a blast and um hopefully we'll be able to continue to um help change the lives of amputees around the world Absolutely. Well, before I let you go, let's uh, get people in touch with you uh, in the ways that are needed. Uh, how should we follow you? How should we uh, follow Rival? And how can people find a new Toyota Tundra truck? When <laughs> Come on. I love it. Now, for, for me, the best place is on Instagram. It's Wallace underscore Jared, J-A-R-R-Y-D. Um, that's where I'm most active. Uh, you can also follow me on my website, jaredwallace.com. Um, Rival is being launched here at the beginning of 2022. So um, stay tuned for all information that we will have uh, Instagram at Rival underscore Inc. And uh, very excited about uh, the future of uh, production, both with the blades and, and other products we're, we're, we're making. So um, stay tuned. A lot of noise coming around uh, Rival and the Team Rival um, uh, family. So uh, again, thanks for thanks for your support. As far as the uh, Tundra's concerned, March 2022, man, the TRD Pro. Let's it go. is coming out. Go to Team Toyota, ToyotaUSA.com, and put in your orders for the Tundra. Go to your local dealership, man. These guys are amazing. They love helping people, uh, and these new Tundras are the next next big thing. So if you haven't seen one, go check it out. If you haven't ridden in one or driven one, don't unless you're planning on buying one because they are amazing. <laughs> Great advice. Well, it's a lot to be excited about. Uh, thank you so much, Jared Wallace, for joining us today on the DLC Drop Podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Future Eye Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.